Kia ora and welcome to Right at Home, realising a future where all New Zealanders are well housed. This is a podcast about how we can realise a fairer housing future for Aotearoa New Zealand. What solutions do the experts, changemakers and policy people have? Join me, Vic Crockford, Community Housing Aotearoa's Chief Executive, as we look for a way to ensure the human right to a decent home is a reality for all New Zealanders. So make sure you follow, rate and share to help us get the word out there and settle in for what will be a fascinating discussion. Today we're joined by James Tupuni. James is the Chief Executive of Te Ahuru Mōwai. Te Ahuru Mōwai is New Zealand's largest Māori-owned community housing provider and is 100% owned by Ngāti Tōa. James has an extensive professional background that includes senior leadership roles in a number of enterprises, social services and the culture and sporting sectors. His former roles include Chief Executive of the Hurricanes in Wellington Rugby, General Manager Māori at Te Papa Tongarewa, Marketing Director for New Zealand Post and National Retail Manager for Hallensteins. In addition to his role as Chairman for Bernardo's New Zealand, James also sits on the Governing Council of Victoria University Te Heringa Waka. His primary iwi affiliation is Ngāti Puro and he and his whānau are proud and passionate residents of Te Tahi Bay and Porirua. Welcome James. We're going to start today's podcast with a question that we're asking all of those who join us here at Ride at Home and that is to tell us about a time when you felt most at home. Yeah, I am um, Vic. Good to be here. I, I smiled actually when I saw, the, saw, saw that this would be a question and without wanting to lapse into cliche, I, I ended up very quickly in the space realising that Whenever I'm hanging out with my whānau, I'm, I feel at home. And I know it is a bit cliched, but it's also true. And then I realise that sort of goes back for me to my mum, really, who's sadly no longer with us, but she just made our house in Kiwi Crescent and Tawa just a warm, inviting place. Every Sunday, she, we would be down at the local park playing, getting all, into all sorts of trouble. And But we knew Sundays we had a she would be baking and have a really nice lunch with scones and various other things waiting for us and we'd get the call out, rush in there and inevitably because she was such a good cook and good baker, my mates would perch themselves outside our dining room window on the fence looking as hungry as they could and waiting for my mum to say, stick her head out the window and say they could come in and eat half of half of our food. So there's something in there, that's where my mind went to anyway, With that's when I felt at home, when mum was in the kitchen and the rest of the whānau was around and our mates were uh, sprinting down the hallway to get a piece of fried bread or a scone on a Sunday lunchtime. James, I can smell those scones from here. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. I think that sense of being all together, gathered around food, it is such an important part of what home feels like and I've had similar experiences particularly with grandmothers who were legendary bakers and fed tribes of people that passed through their houses and that that really resonated for me and look I think actually it also resonates in terms of what Te Ahuru Mōwai is trying to achieve and in terms of your strategy and your vision for the organisation. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners a bit more about Ahuru Mōwai, who you are, how it came about, 
and to really focus in on your vision framework, which I had the real privilege of participating in, which includes these five very inspirational phrases, feel the sea breeze, hear the call of the birds, sow seeds, grow community, know your neighbour and build a home, not a house. Yeah, look, happy to talk a little bit. I'll probably start with just acknowledging that our name, Te Ahuru Mōwai, is a name that was selected by Sir Machu Ray, who was then the getting towards the end of his a very long and successful tenure as chief executive for and had long held a vision of Iwi generally and specifically Ngāti Tōa taking a, a stronger role in the provision of houses for whānau who need it. And so the name Te Ahuru being a sheltering haven and our reason for being really is to provide a sheltering haven for as many whānau as need it within Ngāti Tōa's territory. And so we... We start there when we think about what our reason for being is. So we're a community housing provider, we're a CHIP, we're independently governed but proudly 100% owned by Ngāti Tor. And that same Sumachi Ray is our chair and a fantastic leader. And I'm pleased to say we have others like Helmut Modlick, who's the CE for now for the Runanga. They're obviously representing Ngāti Tor's interests, but others, other leaders from the sector as well on our board. So. Anyway, having said that, back to the guts of the question. So we we are New Zealand's largest housing provider in the Māori space in the sense of being Māori owned. And so Kaupapa Māori is fundamental to the way we approach our mahi. And we, when it comes to our vision, everything for us really is about whānau. And so since we went live two years ago, we've been really focused on um on three things, and I will come back to those five those five key statements, Vic, if you bear with me. So for us, in terms of we've got three strategic PO that underpin our strategy and our vision for our work. One of those is really all about delivering a whānau-centred housing service and about the relationships with our whānau. So we have 922 whānau that we work with, and we focus on them first and foremost, their families, their children, their needs. So that's number one. Number two, our strategy calls for us to look at leveraging our portfolio uh, through new builds. So that's a yes, new building, building homes, but also building as we expand into that community. And the third focus for us is, I guess, best described as any initiative in the community space that levels the playing field for our whānau and social houses and their children and the rest of the population. Whether so, it could be anything from digital connection to provision of bikes to we've got a range of initiatives going on there at the moment anyway if I flip from there when it came down to having got ourselves upright and connected with our whānau and flat tack to start addressing the physical needs in the homes around improving the environment we turned our our attention six or eight months ago to to the second of those po which is building new homes and in the course of doing that doing it in a way that's going to build community and so you were part of a process, as we're a wide number of people, which we won't go into the process piece, but suffice to say, we went through that process with our own people internally, with our own tenant whānau, and with all a wide range of local stakeholders, including the tribe and council and so forth. And out of that, those five statements emerged. I have to say we were really well guided by James Patillo from ISMAS. I just want to 
give a shout out to him he did a fantastic job and is still doing some work with us they got us straight away in terms of our, our sort of values of what for me being a, a maori organization set up to serve a whole community of people no matter who they are or what their whakapapa is it puts us in a particular space and so we quite like this idea of looking for it's not just phrases but ways of looking at building community that that uplift you so the, the example of the feel the sea breeze we've got more than 500 homes in Titahi Bay and actually just through two-thirds of the portfolio maybe three-quarters the sea's not far away and for the balance of the portfolio water is not far away even though three-quarters of it's covered up and put into pipes at the moment so that idea of in the sea, feel the sea breeze is all about whatever we do we want to capture opportunities to reconnect with the moana reconnect with our and we think that's consistent with building homes rather and rather than houses and communities rather than density as an example and the, the same applies with the, the hearing the call of the birds is really about understanding that um, green spaces allow certain things to happen and if you're smart about it which we are seeking to be just to be clear, because we're on the cusp of something here, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, then that's going to be very important to us. And that's that and the other phrases about sowing seeds, which is the grow community piece, knowing your neighbour, so when we design, facilitating that, and to build a home, not a house, those are all consistent with the values and foundation laid down by Nati Tor some years ago for Te Ahuru Mōwai. So we're really excited about that and working with people like James, not just because he's got a good choice of name, but because he understands that, that for us it is really about we live those values. We want to make a difference. We don't just want to build more, the maximum number of social homes on a piece of whenua. That's not consistent with, with what we're called to do so we're really excited about it we're really excited about where it's going to push and we've got our first bunch of paperwork in on the consenting side of things at the moment and we're quite for the for our first development and uh, we're doing our best to live up to that that ambition that we've laid out there Vic. James I just want to pick up on the last aspect you talked there about the building homes not houses piece and what it means to build communities not just density and I know that Te Whare Tapawha, the Māori Wellbeing Framework, has played a role in the way in which you think about that pillar or that aspect of your vision framework. Could you tell us just a bit more about that and why you think that holistic framework is so important? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is that that if as leaders for, if I wasn't embracing that, then my people would hunt me down, my own team would hunt me down until we did. And so I guess and the, re- the reason for that is that when we b- built our small team here, we've got 30 people in our team currently, although it's slowly expanding. We've employed a lot of local people. We've employed our team is very local and it's very brown. Not exclusively so, of course. It reflects our wider community. Um, but part of that is is we wanted people who could speak, just understand the tikanga of our local people and our local communities. We've got just over 40% of our population in the homes is Māori, just over just on 30% is Pacifica. And there's a lot of overlap, if we talk about Te Whare Tapawha, a lot of overlap between the Māori thinking in the space and also Pacifica con- concepts as well. But not even exclusively there, even some of our other tenant whānau, when we start talking about um, 
well-being, I guess, in these different ways, or the critical elements that get us there, we're finding that all of our whānau, that resonates with them. So we're in that space because it's what we believe as a kaupapa Māori-based organisation, and it's working and it's good for us. It's good for us to pause and just check in around those those four aspects. How's everything we're doing? How are we doing in this regard? And in particular, when it comes to connecting with our existing tenant whānau, maybe we've got a situation and we're, we're looking at it and thinking about, well, what's going on here? We know we're not the only ones doing it, but we're trying to do it in our own way. And when it comes to design, we literally are just throwing those lenses over what we're doing. And it's also upfront part of what we're briefing our designers, our architects, to be explicitly thinking about and coming back with solutions that, that pick these things up. Another thing that struck me about your vision framework that I think is really strongly connected to Te Whare Tapawha is the intergenerational timeline that you've taken with it. And I think when you take three-year funding cycles out of the conversation and think about long-term outcomes, the nature of the thinking changes, the nature of the approach and the design changes. And I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that approach and whether and how you'd like to see it used more widely. Well, the first thing is to say that I think it, it it need, it has to be used more widely. I think, sadly, the proof is in the evidence over the last, certainly the last 50 or 60 years at least, of what happens, actually longer, what happens when you do the opposite, when you're thinking in shorter term or, you know, in shorter term ways rather than thinking about the consequence for our children or our our grandchildren. That's it. You know, easier to say than to do. For us, it's not. It's it's fundamental because we are own, we're owned by Mana Whenua, and so Nati Tours on a on quite a quite a journey at the moment in terms of leadership and participation participation in our wider community within Nati Tour territory. And the leaders and the tribe certainly have an intergenerational approach. It's fundamental to Te Ao Māori and Fakaro Māori. So. So for all those reasons, we're we're in that space as well. And I think it changes just about everything, if you're thinking in those terms. certainly changes your approach to how you look at things as apparently mundane but still important as sort of investment and returns on investment and what sort of returns and what sort of weightings you want to give across those, particularly the non-financial returns on your investment. And it also quite rightly closes off options around this short-termism, this, hey, we're in a tight spot. We've we've only got the sort of what I'd call poverty mindset, which pushes you into a particular direction or the maximised profit mindset. It sort of takes you out of that, out of that space. So, I mean, it's still early, as I've said already, it's still early for us. But what we know is an example would be we have zero interest in building blocks even blocks that some people would say are smaller or i mean from a design point of view putting 30 40 social homes together however pretty they are however many stars are on the window demonstrating that they're sound and they're physically healthy home our view is that those are the mini ghettos of the future that's what our our lived experience tells us we've inherited 922 homes that have been overseen actually by the by many people in the crown who have a real heart for the work and have really endeavoured to do a good job. But the model has been wrong because 
it's necessarily been linked to cycles, some of them political, but even just cycles around reporting and business plans and statements of intent and all that sort of stuff. It just doesn't get you anywhere. Whereas if you're sitting there thinking, hey, what? If I'm thinking about this in 25 and or 45 years time, how would I be designing this particular little development? And what else would I be doing outside of that development? Who would I be talking to about amenity and service and connection and green space? And you can take a little bit more time about crafting out a solution that hopefully is beautiful as well as functional. James, I love your focus on beauty there. And in fact, we talked about it with Kate Kearney in our previous podcast that beauty is actually really important because it's about how much you feel like you're in your own home and you feel secure in your own home and you feel surrounded by the things that make you feel happy. I would suggest that a really good scone is a beautiful thing (laughs) (laughs) as an example. But I would love to just hone in on this portfolio aspect for a while because as you mentioned there, you've got a significant portfolio. Over 900 homes spread out across eight neighbourhoods with 57% around about that in Tetahi Bay alone. How do you juggle such a significant portfolio over such a wide geographical area? Well, a few things pop into mind. The 57% in Titahi Bay, I'm a bit biased. I've lived half my life in Titahi Bay. I lived down by the beach in Titahi Bay, a beautiful place named after our Ngāti Toa ancestress. And um, so I literally, I can walk 250 metres and I'll be in front of a Te Ahuru Mōwai home. So anyway, what I'm saying is that we are centred here in Porirua, sort of at the heart of our own our own homes and our own, our own whānau. And that does a number of things. Firstly, because, and I've talked about how we've recruited a team here who are a fantastic team. They really are amazing people and do amazing work. But we probably 75% of the team that we started with had no property experience, no technical knowledge at all. We pulled them out of sort of community services organisations. They were social workers and care workers and different organisations working with people in spaces from family violence to community development. And the second thing I wanted to say on that, so we've got a fantastic team of people who are in and of this community. So we end up sort of, even if we wanted to shut down the Kuma divine, we couldn't. It's just coming in all the time. And what it also, so that there's that aspect. The other thing we did was we mindfully over-invested, if you like, in relationship managers, who are what other outfits call tenancy managers. So we went for a... I think our predecessors, this is not a criticism, it's just maths, had a ratio of one tenancy manager to every 350 homes. We have a ratio of one to every 120 whanau. And all that means is that we have created more time for our people to build a relationship. Now, it's not perfect, but it has really given us a heads up. The other beautiful thing living in the middle of Porirua is that quite a number of our tenant whānau end up coming into Porirua for different services and what have you. So we get our performance reviews from our tenants in the car park at lunchtime and that works as well. I just think that's such a fabulous comment on connection to community and the strength of the community housing sector and having that connection. You just, If you're amongst it, 
as you say, that live performance review, there's absolutely nothing like it. And I think that's probably a good segue to another live performance review that you've experienced in your career. I have a question for the rugby aficionados out there who will remember you well, I am sure, as the chief executive of the Hurricanes. And when you were chief executive of the Hurricanes, you helped turn around what could be described as a perennially underachieving rugby franchise and put in place the building blocks for the team to win a Super 15 title in 2016. I am sure there were many leadership lessons to come out of your tenure there and I would love to hear a little bit more about that and what you've brought across to your role in the housing sector. Oh, I did chuckle when I saw this might be of an area of interest as well. Look, it was a fantastic four and a half years leading the Hurricanes Super Rugby Club. And, and yes, it was it was great to see the improvement that was achieved both on and off the pitch. In terms of lessons, it's interesting in all the different areas that I've worked, probably like yourself, I'm sure, Vic, if we're fortunate, we get to experience different teams, different sectors sometimes and in different circumstances, and you learn stuff from all of it, and I'm certainly no different. It was a learning curve, even though I'd been involved with rugby for a long time. Professional sport, particularly at the higher end, is quite a different beast, quite a different business, really, because it is a business. There are a number of learnings there in the same way that I've taken learnings out of um, the other industries, whether I, my time at Te Papa or New Zealand Post or Hallenstein's or whatever it might have been. And But there is something different about the business of professional rugby in New Zealand, and particularly at that super rugby level. There's not too many other sectors where you have you know, people who are household names who are part of the working group that you, know, that you have the privilege of spending time with. But notwithstanding that star power, what is clear is that what I did learn there is it was reinforced the power of good, having good coaches and good leaders in the organisation, just what a powerful influence that can be on changing the outcomes taking you know really good outcomes and making them great taking not so good outcomes and you're moving them up the spectrum I think the other thing frankly is that because it's it was as I say it was a privilege to to work with the Canes and with Wellington Rugby but it also reinforced for me in a way just how important it is for us to have people in organizations who are working to improve the lives of people I mean you when you're sitting there at the I don't know, we're not supposed to call it the cake tin, but we still do. At the cake tin, we had our first home semi-final in history, sold out in my last season then. We had our first home final, and this was with Chris Boyd, who was an old, someone I'd worked with many years before, very experienced coach. And that's the other thing I take out of there, is that not to undervalue experience, in fact, to put a premium on it, it just can make such a big difference. But to Chris and Plum, that are fantastic job there but in that ex- in that experience you sit there and you think okay well 20 years this hasn't happened before why not they've been fantastic squads fantastic coaches and, and good boards of all these different things but it's as much it's I talk about the difference between sort of the science of how it's meant to work and the art of actually how it does work and so uh in actual fact that's a long-winded way of saying that I realize that I'm not in control of everything and that part of my role as a leader is to do the things that we can do to to get the right key people in our team to do the job, but also understand that there's going to be some stuff. At the end of the day, we might need the occasional ref's call to go our way to to carry the day. And yeah, it was a real learning experience, but I'm very happy 
where I am as Chief Executive for Te Ahuru Mawai, I have to say. That said, I got to enjoy a few weeks ago uh, the Wellington Lions cleaning up a long-awaited national title at NPC level as well. So I get now I get to enjoy it from the in front of the TV set or in the seat, um, Vic, rather than having to sweat on the bounce of every ball. Yeah, not as much fun as you might imagine. And now you get to sweat at the timeline of every resource consent instead. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, look, I want to pick up on that theme of improving people's lives that you just raised there and the fact that you've inherited a number of homes that are really not in great condition as part of your portfolio and some that are also exposed to flooding and sea level rise as we continue to feel those impacts of climate change. I'd love to hear a little bit about your plans to get stuck into those issues in terms of how you're working on them and who you're working with. So I might start with the second part of that in terms of who we're working with. So I think I've mentioned already the likes of James and others at Isthmus who are helping sort of at the sort of bigger picture vision level around our, our development approach and out of that we have a plan that's really a 20-year plan that identifies where the, the best opportunities against all those elements factoring and all those things and guided by the feel the sea breeze and know your neighbour in those elements of our approach. We have a large amount of whenua here. It's all in Ngāti Tor territory. We've got 600,000 square metres of whenua only 18% of it has is built out. And so we've got a big opportunity to improve the quality and the quantity of the homes. And the, so our first thing is to have that 20-year plan. In terms of who we work with, there's the likes of Isthmus, but when it comes to the people who are going to be doing the do, we've got a, we don't have a social procurement 17 or 20-page document. Our procurement approach is go local. So... We, we're working with a number of Ngāti Tour businesses, other Māori and Pacifica businesses within the wider Porirua and Ngāti Tour area, and then any businesses within the local area that we'll to partner with. We've done a lot of work in that space to support local, and we'll keep doing that over the years to come. You're right. Without being unkind to anyone, I've already acknowledged, and I'll acknowledge again, that there are currently some really committed and good people working in some of the bigger agencies who are responsible for social housing, one way or another. And that's been the case for many years. But the state of those properties is poor, and we've been going hard out to, to address that in terms of maintenance. But really, with our new build program over the years to come, Vic, we should... We're really looking forward to having being able to move more people into new homes that reflect all those elements that we're trying to, I say achieve for them, but achieve in the sense of we provide those really as foundational elements for children and for whānau, and then as much as possible we'll get out of the get out of the way really. I'm not sure if I fully answered your question, but and it, it's, it's well, it could be a one word answer, which is mahi. We're just getting into it. I think that's one of the one of the things for us is we this is real for us. These are our relations, these are our families or friends of our families. And I've got a sixteen year old and a fourteen year old. I'm I think it's highly likely that their children will be living somewhere in this area. It's a decent chance of that. And I don't want them walking past houses that look like our ones did two years ago when we took them over. So that's the short answer. We're just getting into it. This is our community. 
And that, I guess that's the, to your point earlier about community housing provider, I think that's the, the thing that needs to be tapped into is I also wear a hat and it's been a privilege to sit on the board for Bernardo's, New Zealand's largest children's charity for, I've been there since 2014 and chaired since 2015. The power of local people in community doing things, it's unbeatable. And we intend to stay firmly in that space. Thanks, James. And I completely agree with you in having had the privilege now of getting around the country and meeting lots of different housing providers and, and the communities in which they work. Uh, we've got so many of the answers. They're there. They're in the communities. And it's a matter of how we value and support those answers and we really appreciate the work that you're doing to surface the importance of local and the importance of community. And I think that's a really nice way of us coming to our final question, which is about the role that Ngāti Tō's cultural identity is playing in your regeneration plans. You've already talked about how strongly connected you are to the Rūnanga and also how there's those connections between Ngāti Tō's overall housing strategy in your work. But I know from having spoken with you and been out to visit you that there's a really strong element of the iwi's identity in the ways in which you're thinking, but also the ways in which you're designing. So I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about that, because for me that really is showing the power and the strength of connecting to people, connecting to whenua and understanding where you stand. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there, but I, one thing I should say is that these homes that we're looking after at the moment that are all in Ngāti Tōa territory, they sit on Ngāti Tōa land. And Sir Machi Ray said at this, the signing of the deal, and it's been reiterated by the, his successor, um, Helmut Modlik, that Ngāti Tōa intend that, that somewhere between now and 48 years' time when the lease expires, they will exercise the commercial right that they, we have to purchase those, those properties because Ngāti Tōa is, is not, and I'm paraphrasing here now from Helmut, not in the business of trading whenua within its area, they're in the business of maintaining as many of that whenua and the people within it, supporting the people within it. So that frames our thinking because we're not talking about doing a deal here, we're talking about supporting the aspirations of Ngāti Tūra's mana whenua. I need to make it clear to anyone listening, I, as it happens, I'm of Ngāti Pro descent on my father's side. I've just spent 80% of my life in the area that Ngāti Tōa mana whenua over, and so it's a privilege to be here in, in that regard as, as well. I think, let me answer it this way, because there's a long answer, I'll give you a shorter answer. We talked a little bit earlier, briefly, about beauty. When I I had some time, I had seven and a half years as GM Māori at Tababa, and after that I spent some time at New Zealand Post. In both those roles, I was privileged to work with some of New Zealand's leading artists and designers in different regards. And what I took from that was the importance of working with, with artists and with designers because they bring a completely different approach to maybe some relatively traditional, like a house for example, and they push your thing in a completely different direction. And so so our intention is to continue working with Ngāti Tōa designers and, and planners and others within our local community so that we get pushed in the right way. 
the other thing the other things I would have thought are pretty obvious, which is when you have fundamental values like these values that are driving through from a tribal and now in our case an organizational it it influences heavily the sort of which you take around around developing in this case playing our small part but we hope important part in developing communities within this area for the future. We just put solar panels on twenty social homes. And the chief executive of Solar Zero and one of his key managers reflected to us that they've done thousands of these up and down the country. There's not many who've gone on social homes. That's got to change, you know, and that's where these values take us. We're just trialling digital connection in 15 homes being provided free for the children in those homes to reduce the gaps around access to educational experience. Why? Because currently, 60% of the children that are raised in social homes will still be in a social home at the end of their life. That's not good enough. So I said it would be the shortest version. That's what happens when when we look at, in this case, Nati Tor's vision and leadership and what they're laying down as a challenge and a way of operating and apply that tikanga, that value, to the work we're doing. So we'll keep working at it, Vic. We'll keep working at it. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you tune in to our next episode as we look for a way to ensure the human right to a decent home is a reality for all New Zealanders. So give us a like, leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Until next time, ka kite.